Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. This is the show. This is the show. The show, yeah, <clears throat> that's the trick. Is uh, the show starts immediately after the clap? Everything that's in, and everything that's in the show is in the show. All right, the show you got that, here. Steve? Yeah, it's here. So, so we have special guests today. Steve, would you like to introduce yourself? I don't, I don't do introductions. Yeah, friend of the sh- <laughs> friend of the show, Steve Bussey here. Uh, I'm a Lixer developer, and I've met Amos and Chris at some conferences now. So, finally, happy to be be joining y'all on the show. Yeah, we're happy Thanks. to hear. And you've you're you uh, are now a author. I, I mean, am. you actually were you an you were, were you an author before? I guess I, I it's weird because there's like a I guess with the beta, technically you become an author when the beta comes out, but you're not like a full author yet. You're still oh. working your way up. You're a journeyman but author. Journeyman for a journey the, person since, since August. Yeah, but now I just got the final the final chapters into beta. They'll be out by the time this is live. So then I'm just wrapping things up and hopefully I don't have too much more to do on it. So and then it's off to the printers, right? Off to the printers then, probably in March or so. If you want to see the uh, other books that Steve has written, you can search for <laughs> Steve Bussey on Goodreads and have a great laugh. <laughs> Apparently, there's some other Steve Busseys out there that uh, <laughs> different different types of authors. I see. Not not necessarily technical writing. <laughs> not technical <laughs> writing. <laughs> Very different genres. <laughs> it's a lot of like Fifty Shades of Grey fanfic. There's some of that on there. Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, we did discuss whether we could get Fabio to do Steve's cover. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. That'd be so the, good. The, the the royalty rate would be way too high for that. Mm. I'm sure he's still. I'm sure. Yeah, he, he, still he, has he, some he Think about how much money he'd have to pay you just to be on your cover. <laughs> <laughs> Sell the rights to the cover. Yeah. How much say do you have on the cover? Are you allowed to talk about this? Yeah, I think it's it's all. Yeah, I don't think that's too. Uh, so they so they have like a design group. I don't even know the name of the group, but they I think they always work with them for the cover. And they you give some like words or some like ideas of like what the cover might be, and then they come up with like I think it was like eight different proposals. So basically, the way it works then, so they show you them, and then the author, and then their editor, and then like other people at Pragmatic, like basically get to like vote on you know what cover they want to go with. And I think the author gets a little bit more. They get like an extra vote or something like that. Um, and you can vote for all. Like you get like three or four votes or something like that. You can put them like however you want to. Okay. So for mine, I just went ahead and put all of my votes on one of the covers. And Excellent. and then it, it's like at that point, the editors are like, well, yeah, we're just going to go with that. So there was never like, oh, we don't want to do that cover or anything like that. Gotcha. Oh, nice. I guess we should say like the title of your book. <laughs> yeah. So the so the book is is Real Time Phoenix with uh, pragmatic programmers nice so how did you uh how did you get involved like how did you come to say i want to write this book yeah so it probably started um the idea of writing the book was probably about a year and a half ago i was i had been working on a uh, a microservice in elixir pulling some stuff out of our big rails app and um it was I thought it was going to be like super easy. Like I was like, all right, maybe like three or four weeks of time. And then like, obviously there's going to be some time to like, you know, safely move things over without breaking anything. Um, just like, you know, waiting time basically, but it took way longer than that. Like, um, I probably spent, I probably spent like two months of development time and then 
you know, six months total of like rolling it out just because it was like, there are so many things that we hit on and just things that like people were like, well, this should be super easy. This is super easy. And I was just like, man, this is like actually really hard um, as I'm doing this. And I, I was just struggling with it. And so that, that's when I was sort of like, all right, this like, this is like a topic that I'm interested in. And I got so much help along the way. Like, I don't want to discount that. Like I was able to get the pro- project rolled out and the problem solved because of like the community was like really good, especially, you know, like Chris McCord spent so much time, like, in like private messages helping me out and stuff. So there's like definitely an appreciation there. And so that was like where the problem came from. But then also I just, I really like Elixir. I think that it's like changed the way I like think about programming and I think it's exciting. So, you know, doing it in Elixir specifically was sort of, you know, something that I had wanted to do just to share that, that passion that I have for this language with other people. Um, And that's really where like, you know, all that sort of came together then. And, you know, that's where, that's why I was like, all right, I want to write this book. I think this is a good topic. And it was also timely because there, there, there were like overview books about like Phoenix and Elixir, but there was nothing that like dove deeper into like a single like vertical, which would be like the real time aspects. So when you were, when you were developing the, the app was the hardest like problem, like real time problem that you ran into that you're like, Hey, I need to make sure this is in this book. So the, it's nice now. It's actually something you don't have to think about as much, but I ran into a lot of issues with garbage collection, mainly because back then there, I don't think at that point in time, there was even like hibernation in the, in theme and an OTP. Now there is, which helps solve a lot of this, but, um, you know, I would, I would, you know, finally stand up the service and I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're going to scale these WebSockets up. And then 400 people connected. And I had like four to eight gigs of like memory taken up. Which, you know, if you had if you had maybe a thousand people total connecting, you might be like, all right, that's fine. But if you're going to go, you know, 100 or 200 times past that, you know, now you're looking at, you know, I need 100 gigs just for this one service. That doesn't sound right. And so I spent a lot of time like looking at uh, and, and part of it was our use case. We were sort of passing large payloads over the channels, which is not something it, it, it puts them in a position where they can't be garbage collected very well. And so. Um, you know, part of it was specifically our use case, but that was the one thing I like, you know, make sure to talk about like scheduling and garbage collection, just because when you start like rolling out a real time app, like you, you want to understand those things a little bit more. Maybe you don't have to worry about them so much in other aspects because things sort of take care of it for you. Like Phoenix takes care of, takes care of a lot of that stuff for you, but then, you know, you start rolling it out and you want to have, you know, tens of thousands of connections that are persistent. That's like a harder problem. So I try to talk a lot about like the idea of persistent connections being a challenge versus like a one-off request, which is a little bit easier to handle. I thought Chris was going to say something. So no, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Wait. I'm thinking about it all. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, so I, I remember one of the things you talked about in the book was, and this is, I think, this ties into that. Is like one of the, some of the mitigating factors are like uh, you talk about when to opt to have different, uh, like like multiple channels that you're sending stuff over. Like mm-hmm. if you're going to have this sort of like a global like notifications thing that lots of people can connect to, or if you're going to have like something more specific about a page or uh, like a page, meaning like a part of the application, like a page on in the application or like a, a feature set or something like that. And you did, I think like you do a, honestly, like I didn't know a bunch of that stuff when I read through the book um, in terms of like how to use those things efficiently. I just never thought about it to be honest. And so it was cool to see your take on like, 
when you want to opt to do one or the other and like what you'll run into when that happens. Because like, and that's really what you want, right? It's like, you want that hard one experience, like, cause that's how you become like a peer. Right. Yeah. That's like, like books are great when they give you like real world stuff, because then by the end of it, like the author can talk to you as like a peer and not as like an instructor anymore. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like aware of all those things now. Um, so I thought that was really cool. I thought that was super interesting. Um, uh, we're just now like using Phoenix channels at work for some stuff. Um, so it was, it was timely for me to be able to read through it and see like kind of the, some of the patterns that you were using. Yeah. I remember you talking about that at a conference or something, the, hall, the hallway track, but that's um, y'all and y'all will have a pretty big installation of it. I assume, you know, if you're doing something like, let's just, I don't even know what you're doing, but let's say it was like a chat or something like that, or like let, you know, live chat during a sports game, like you're going to have a, ton of connections to it and you'll be dealing with some fun problems for that yeah it's interesting it is (laughs) i i i I will say like one of the things that we're doing and i don't know if this jives with like your experience at all but we try to limit the amount that we actually sort of rely on like the channel process at all and we just try to get out of the channel process like as quick as possible and just use it as transport and you do something similar in the book uh, I guess this is a spoiler where you actually kind of hook up a whole like pipeline of stuff with like gen stage, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I thought was super interesting. Um, mostly because I uh, I'm a gen stage. Uh, we've talked about this before on the show, but it's like, I'm, I'm continually searching for the gen stage state problem um, where like, I don't quite understand exactly how to, I mean, I get like what it's doing, but I have a hard time understanding how all the pieces fit together. And so that was another interesting part for me was to see how you're hooking up your sort of entire pipeline of like how you broadcast these messages and apply back pressure and all this kind of stuff. So that was really cool. And and that's a, the fun one about GenStage. So one of the reasons I use GenStage, I, I started the project I was just talking about, the uh, the one that took, you know, I had some hard won lessons along that implementing that project. And one of the big ones was uh, I initially was using like task.async instead of gen stage. So it's like basically just the, the, the general flow of this, the, you know, three, three sentence overview is like data comes in from one service, basically gets written to a database and then like a, basically a, a message gets sent down to the client. So it's basically like a push server in some, in some respects, it saves some data and it pushes it down to a client. Mm-hmm. But the other thing it does is it has to go to some, because of like microservices and it has to go to some of the other APIs in the in our system and fetch some data as it does that. So initially, the entire like fetching data, push it down to the you know bro- or broadcast it the actual pub sub was uh, which is the the Phoenix pub sub which goes to the channel. That was all done just by task.async, and we rolled it out and it was it was fine. And then one day our the we use Sidekick and Rails and basically something backed up and we had this big backlog of messages that need to be sent through this system. So our, our normal steady, you know, a few thousand per minute was no longer the case. Now there was a spike of like, you know, I need to get a hundred thousand things through as fast as possible. And what ended up happening is it then did a bunch of API calls back to the originating service to get some data. And it was doing like 4,000 like simultaneous requests to that service and like like the rails app just can't handle that right like it's not it's just not really built for that and it uh it would like come down and then everything would sort of stabilize because the service is no longer getting messages and then it would come back up 
and then, and then it, you kill it again. It had the back, and it was kill <laughs> yeah. it again. Yeah. So we put it in gen stage, right? So we didn't actually change too much about it. We we put it in gen stage. It was maybe a a couple hours to get it implemented. So like not even a big deal. And then we just threw a consumer supervisor in there. So gen stage basically has a mechanism out of the box that gives you like some concurrency and it will give you a maximum amount of, con- of concurrency. So we just slapped a limit on there, said don't do more than 10 things at a time. And I mean, honestly, it's been running like that for the past two years now. I mean, we haven't had to change anything about it and it it sort of just uh, fixes that problem for us. So the, the cool thing about gen stage is it lets you evolve. Like you, I know you've talked about on the show, like, you know, your, your thoughts on gen stage. I think the, the one thing for me that's the big redeeming quality about it is like, you don't have to do things with it. You can be really simple. Like I just do in-memory buffer. I don't even, I, I let mm-hmm. gen stages buffer do everything for me. Mm-hmm. But if I needed it, if I needed it to be powered from like Redis or a database or Kafka, I could just write that and it, I wouldn't have to change anything else. I would just change that one part of it. So it's like this nice, like evolving architecture, which I think is like a good sign of something that's like generally pretty well built. Yeah, I'm I'm, sure. I'm currently working on a project where I'm processing images like from a camera uh, six frames a second from eight different cameras though, um, and I'm using GenStage and just doing the end memory. And even though it's a pretty good size binary, even the garbage collection now is is good, and and I I don't really have to touch it either. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't actually dislike Gen Stage. I just don't understand how to hook it all up. <laughs> like, I don't. I haven't. I've never spent the time to like read through the docs and code to figure out like what am I actually doing with this. But I like your. I like. I like the fundamental thing that you're talking about, which is like the ability to kind of grow this pipeline of stuff. I think that's like a. I think I agree with you. That's like a mark of a good design. Yeah, and it's here. And I wish I could have used it more in the book, but. Uh had to make some amends there and cut. Yeah. I have a chapter on it, but I don't use it outside the chapter, but eh, that's how life is. I think it was really uh, well-placed in the book though. I'm going to keep talking since we can't hear Anna. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to happen. Maybe. It's going to happen. Just I, cut. I think, she, I think we're in a situation where she can totally hear us, but we cannot hear her. Mm. Maybe blink. If you can hear us. <laughs> If you can hear us, give us some sort of gesture. <laughs> I don't think she can. <laughs> no gestures. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, th- I thought it was really well placed in the book. I actually didn't expect to pick this book up when I first started reading it. I was like, okay, it's going to be all about channels and sockets. And I did not expect to run into uh, um, Gen Stage in the middle of the book. But it felt well placed and it was like really nice to see a quick real use case for it. Mm-hmm. There's I, I I think I told you, Steve, that I really do feel like this is the best Phoenix book written, hands down, as I was going through it. Like maybe somebody who's who's brand new. A lot of other books feel like they're just almost teaching you just a little bit more than the documentation, but they're trying to be very broad. And this one, like it to me showed me the power like a lot more power in Phoenix that I don't think and and just in Elixir in general that people maybe don't get from those other books. And it, it to me was like, okay, this is the killer app. This is why I got into Elixir that isn't immediately obvious when you read the other books. So, and, and I got excited from the very beginning where you talked about types of scalability and you gave three types of scalability. And I was like, holy cow, I, this is what I want to tell every client I ever have. So appreciate it was, that. It was the, pretty uh, awesome. the, uh, and it's one thing of, 
like you mentioned the gen stage being like interesting placement. That was, that was the one thing like going into the book that I was like, this is what I'm most, ex- I want to like write this chapter about the gen stage. <laughs> and, and it was like these other problems that you have. And that was like, and then I was like, all right, I need to talk about channels and what they are. I need to talk about web sockets, what that is. I was like, but I really want to write about the, the gen stage chapter and, and the, uh, the shoe store. We, we build a shoe store in the book. That's sort of the, uh, the project that spans like, the second half of the book and on, and I, I have a lot of sneakers, so it was a uh, it was a fun little project to write. Nice. So another small thing that I think that you put in the book that I thought was really fantastic to be added there too. I'm giving it away, but then again, you, you people can do need to get the book to learn how to do it. Right? The yep, book tells yep. you how. I'm just giving away the topic. Is the uh, metrics, the stats, D stuff, and it's small in there, but like it's it's really important, and I I loved how you even talked about where to use it and when to use it and like what might be some important things that you want to want to be collecting metrics on and why. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure like, especially, you know, I know Bleacher Report's probably real big on metrics too, for example, but like, if you don't know if the thing's working or not, like how do you have the confidence in your, in sort of the code that you're writing? So yeah, that like being, just having a way of collecting metrics is super, super powerful. Now I would say, telemetry also but like hooking it up with something like stats d but you know we just use plain old stats d in the book because it's real simple but uh you know there's these other things now that are hooking in that are making it way way easier to get metrics out of your out of your running system so do that if you're not if you're not collecting metrics this is you know definitely start doing that so are you using the stats d directly currently or have you switched stuff over to use telemetry i haven't switched anything over to it yet mainly just because i like I basically have like a, a template at this point that I go with and it's literally, it takes me two minutes to get all like what I want it, what I, the, the basics of what I want in, instrumented with, uh, I use uh, instruments, which hooks up to stats D and I just copy paste a file and it just works. So I haven't rewritten it yet into uh, telemetry, but you know, I, I imagine it wouldn't be that hard to do. I just haven't done that yet. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been happy with instruments. It's like, it's really just very simple to use and, uh, I used to use like Xometer, Elixometer, I guess it is in the Elixir space. And I struggled a lot with that. So that was like the one thing is like when I switched over to instruments, I was like, oh, I'm actually happy now. And I don't have to have a blogger or whatever it is. Like all these like weird dependencies from the uh, Elixometer. Yeah, it's like standard. It's like, it's like such a, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble saying this. It's like such a standard <laughs> Erlang, Erlang library experience where you're like, you need to use a fork of somebody's fork of the thing, which you don't even know that you're supposed, like that's the mainline version of it now, but, but everyone in the Erlang community does. And then when you ask them how I'm supposed to know that they're like, well, you should have like read through the email list archives and, you know, like you had to, you just got to avoid all the racist stuff and then you'll find all the important things that you actually need to learn in there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> and like, and then they're mad, but they're mad at you that you, that you even asked the question at all. They're like, well, how do you not know how to go look at the email Erlang mailing list archives? Uh, yeah, that was, it's not fun. It's not a good experience. <laughs> I don't even know where to find the mailing list archives. I'm really, I never use mailing lists. I'm like, that's like giving my age away a little bit on the younger side, but like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Even... All right. Hipster man, whatever. <laughs> I just get, get up issues, right? Everything can be found in issues. Open now. source is only on GitHub. That's the thing that you always need to remember. I want. I did. I've. I've sent someone an actual patch file exactly one time, like like actually build a real 
patch file from Git and then send it to them so they can apply it. But I sent it to wow. him through Slack. So <laughs> instead copy of, and paste this. So instead of a neck beard, I grew a perfectly waxed handlebar mustache. <laughs> I used the patch once, the locally though only between two repos on the same box. Just because I wanted to learn how. But uh, so I've been going back to this a little bit like um, like your gen stage, like the, the notion of what you're doing with gen stage is very similar to what we end up doing, which is like we just try We essentially just get out of the channel process essentially as quick as we can. Like sometimes that means having to go to the database first because like you want that level of like consistency. But yeah, then we just we but often we'll just try to like get immediately out of the 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 channel process to unblock the channel process. And then yeah. we send that works. We send that work somewhere else so that we're not sitting there like because we have a similar situation where we need to go hydrate data from like in number of other services and like do that consistently and provide a real user experience back to the user and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. And, yeah. And, and one cool trick for people like is you can just get out of the channel process by like just spawning a new process and, and doing like your, your work there. It doesn't even need to be something fancy. Like you don't even need to have a whole gen server supervisor that you're going to. It can just be like, Oh, I, I task spawn this and, uh, or task that start this. And then I, I just let it do its thing basically. And, and then you can respond back in that other process. And that's, that, that's one thing that can help with garbage collection too, because you, you put the garbage in a, like ephemeral process. It's just going to be, you know, it's just going to go away really quickly versus this long lived process. Um, right. Yeah. <sighs> so so you're still using tasks then you, you spin it off to a task instead. I you do talked about using task for, async for, yeah, for the one I, I do use tasks. Um, I use them in gen stage as the thing that is like, I, I use them in two places. So at gen stage at like the very, very end when you actually have to like, cause if you're using a consumer supervisor, you have to give it a module that can like be start linked. And then it will boot up an inst- like a process basically um, for that worker. So I use a task at that point because it's just real simple. I mean, it's it's just incredibly simple. And then I also use it in that like the one example there of like I have um, a request coming into my channel and it's going to be doing a lot of work or generating a lot of memory. So let me go ahead and just spawn off a task. I think I would do like I think I would do a a linked task, but I wouldn't do the, I would not be awaiting on it. So I don't really care about the task itself. I just sort of let it do its thing. And, um, and then that way that the task runs, the channel can handle new messages coming in. And then when the task is finally ready to like give its data back, it'll go ahead and do that. And the whole thing's asynchronous. So like the front end's built to handle that. The back end's built to handle that. Like, you know, there's no need for things to be synchronous at that level because everything's just assuming it's going to be asynchronous anyway. So right exactly yeah yeah it's it is nice once you can get to that world because you have a lot of like you have a lot of flexibility it does complicate things right like the clients become a lot like stateful clients are always going to be more complicated than non-stateful clients yeah Mm -hmm. and by stateful i just mean persistent connection like technically the clients are stateful they're seeing a snapshot in time right of a view of the world but there's also this thing where like users know that if they refresh that often fixes problems like yeah. and stuff like that. So if you have a persistent connection, now you've got like, you you know, now you've got a real distributed system wherein like you have to re- know how to recover from all these things. 
So that's, that does present challenges, but um, you do get the ability to like build sort of more richer like experiences. I don't know. It's a trade-off for sure. I was going to say in my experience too, you also get to reduce the data that you're sitting back and forth in that overhead. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, the big thing on, on a lot of the uh, Like if you wanted a, a dashboard for, somebody to be able to see like real time, I don't know, people buying stuff or sports scores. You you get to send a whole lot less data if you can just have a socket passing it as it trickles in right. instead of trying to like, hey, let's see if we can get these to sync up every once in a while on some polling event. Yeah, and then the, then the nice thing there is like, not only are you sending less data, but you also don't have to hydrate as much. That's one of the, like the live view things mm. that like Chris has talked about, about one of the benefits of live view is like, you don't have to hydrate as much data in our rails monolith. I'd say I mean, I've, I've, I've personally significantly spent a lot of time on just like making sure that we reduce these like common calls to the database. Cause like, you know, we'd be doing 10 database requests just to set up a request. And, right. and you, and you know, when you're dealing with like a large, number of requests per minute like that's that's a real problem and so when you when you use channels like you don't have to use that or or you can do it if you want to like chris said like you may go to the database because you can you have this flexibility to do it there's not really a right answer either like um you know do whatever you need to do is sort of the the great thing about it Mm -hmm. Um, well and you don't need to send data when it doesn't change either yeah where if they're refreshing you do so when you started doing this uh switch over um and creating the Elixir app, did you utilize the same database or did you make it start its own? New database. And the reason, and I'm actually doing the same thing now. It's almost the same exact problem. So that that service was for our like, what we call like the live feed, which is like, so we're like a sales platform. I work at a company called SalesLaw. And so um, with our sales engagement platform, you're having like email events and like, um, you know, you know, someone sends you an email or, you know, they click a link or st- just stuff like that. So um, we were basically sourcing data for that from lots of different places. So there wasn't even one database table, which mm-hmm. was sort of problem one, because I actually wanted to add something to it. And there was just like not really a clean way to do it because there's just going to be another thing that it was putting together, which can be fine. Like that sometimes you do that for like distributed systems. You might have something that like aggregates a bunch of data together. But that's actually really hard to do if you start wanting like a consistent stream of data and you you have to start or- worrying about like order and stuff like that. So what we did is we just made a new uh, new database, new microservice, and new database table that was just strictly this one type of event. And like instead of having you know eight different events that I pull data from all over the place, those eight different places would instead send their data in, and it would be stored in this one table. And it makes it really easy to say like, give me a hundred items, give me another hundred items, because that's just like basic queries and pagination versus having to worry about all right, I was on. I was on item 25 of this, but item 50 of this. So I need to go and fetch these things. It just gets very complex when you're doing like distributed feeds. So, um, so basically, and the other thing is like, we don't cross databases between our microservices. Some people do, and I don't have a ton of opinion on it, but like, uh, so some people do that. Some people might say that's not a microservice if you're sharing a database. Um, but um, I think it, it's, it's, it is what it is, but uh, yeah, we, we don't do that. So anytime we have a microservice, the communications always like HTTP call or Kafka, which is sort of a sh- sharing a data store in some ways, but we'd be sending like Kafka messages. But, um, you know, most of the time it's API requests that we're doing. So, And it, it worked out well. I mean, like I said, the thing's been running now for probably two and a half years. And I think I've had like, I mean, 
persistent connections every day, all day long. Our app, since it is like a, a sales platform, it's sort of like people are doing their full job in it. Like you have people that spend eight hours a day in it. So they come wow. in and that connection, and they're not going to shut that tab down for like the whole day just because, you know, why would they need to? So you have to, you know, you're having these long persistent connections that are multiple hours long. Mm-hmm. And it, I think we had one issue in the past since it was stable and running in production, we had one issue, which was like a known thing that I knew I knew I needed to fix and just never did. And then finally one day it came back and bit us and we, we fixed it. And so it's sort of nice. I mean, it's just been sitting there chugging away, running. We haven't really had to make a lot of changes to it because it is very like focused in what it's doing. So it just sort of works well. And I'm hoping this, this one I'm doing now is going to be the same way where we sort of build it and then, you know, we don't have to worry about it too much. So your maintenance costs have been pretty low then? Very, yeah, very, very low. Um, you know, obviously, like, and, and, and in those services, we're not really building new features. Like I mentioned, they're sort of stable. Um, like some of those features have been around for a few years and, you know, they haven't needed to change too much. People expect them to do what they do. And so, um, you know, they just, they're just sort of chugging away and um, doing their thing. How did you decide which, which feature to, to pick off whenever you were doing this? Pain was the biggest thing. So like I said, I wanted to do something. I had a new service. I wanted to appear in this live feed. And I was like, well, what's another call? I'll just throw an API call in there and it will like, and we'll just, you know, throw it into the live feed. And it was sort of like, well, you know, let's not do that because it's like sort of getting a little bit out of hand. So I was like, all right, now's the time to, 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 to take this feature and rewrite it into a dedicated service. And, and you know, we, we could have done it in rails we could have just made a new thing in the in the monolith and just threw it all there and had an api where other services could have sent in their data but um the big draw for us doing it in elixir number one we i wanted to 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 get this real world project under under my belt but then also um it really made a lot of sense for channels because it is essentially like pushing data down to the client that's you know one of the great use cases for channels so just like really lined up well nice it always feels so good right you look at some of the Elixir stuff you've got running and you're like, I haven't touched this in six months. It's still just yep. working great. This is awesome. I have that we, feeling we a replaced lot. Our, uh, <laughs> we, we replaced our push service. Um, we, we were paying a push service more money than we should have been paying per month. And uh, we replaced it with just a pretty basic channels implementation. It's actually open source. I called it PushX. I know Keithley probably doesn't like that name. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. X but push, push X. But it's, X push uh, X. X-push that's X. one where it's like, I mean, we're dealing hundreds of millions of events through that going down to our channel. And it's like, I literally haven't touched it since it, it shipped, not a single time, um, which nice. has been like amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff that like is so critical and just it just just keeps working. Just works. Just working. Yeah. And it's like, it, you know, occasionally we make changes to it or whatever, just as they as needed. But yeah, some of this stuff just keeps working. Nice. Feels good. Yeah. And when it doesn't, it restarts itself. So then you move on. (laughs) (laughs) Except except when your problem is when it's restarting itself, it crashes. I that's you know, I I ran into that before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or the thundering herd, both of those I've run into. Yeah. Even knowing about it uh, and thinking about it, I ran into the thundering herd because I was like, this thing's not gonna crash. (laughs) And guess what? As the first thing is is a really interesting problem, like a distributed system problem of like, you have a lot of clients, let's say, you know, you had a hundred thousand clients 
And they all are expected to do something like within a 10 minute window. So every 10 minutes they want to do something. It's like, all right, how do you get them to do it in such a way that you don't thundering hurt yourself? So like a really basic implementation might be like, all right, just as soon as the thing, as soon as the client boots up, it'll just set a timer for 10 minutes from now and then it'll do its thing. And then 10 minutes from then, but you might have a lot of users that log in like on the hour. So you have like that minute one has like 80% of your data or of the requests. And so I actually took a page from Sidekick. I was like, how does Sidekick handle this? Because they have to deal with the same problem, which is the sort of the the Rails like background task runner. Um, it sends heartbeats and it has to worry about making sure that the, the heartbeats don't overwhelm each other. And so it just does a random distribution. It's like between, you know, 30 and 60 seconds randomly distributed will send a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do something like that. We need something to happen every 10 minutes. Our, our JWT tokens only last 10 minutes. So in order to keep them refreshed all the time, every five to nine minutes, just a random number in that range, it'll um, it'll basically schedule out some work for then. And then you don't have this like thundering herd problem anymore. You do have a lot of consistent requests. Like you're getting a large number of consistent requests, but it like completely removes like the spikes of requests, which is pretty nice. It's like a hard problem if you think about it. It's just like, how do you even solve that? Because they don't, the things don't talk to each other. So you have to like solve it with like randomness and math a little bit and statistics. Sort of cool. Yeah. Jitter. Yeah. 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 The jitter is a real thing or retries, especially and all that. We have a, we have a similar thing. So we can't control it, which is like all the users get an alert and then they all show up at the app all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that's like a whole yeah. th- different thing. Like you don't even get a chance to like con- control that. So yeah, I, unless I you like stagger the that way about- that you send out alerts, which isn't a real thing that you're going to do. Do you do things okay. like you, cause you know, you're about to send out an alert, right? You're like alerts. Like there's some code that's like, send out alert. Do you do things like, all right, the code that sends out alert is going to tell your like servers to like beef themselves up basically. Yeah. yeah, we, we have, we have a lot. And like, that's cause that's the other big thing is like, you can't auto scale fast enough to handle it. And you also just like, so, so you ideally you don't go down at all during the spike. Right. And if you have mm-hmm. to auto scale, that's fine. But like, you should present the data to people, which means that like, you have to just start like blowing bulkheads, like as you go, like, because like, if you just get a, a spike that no one anticipated or that you didn't scale up enough for, you have to like be ready to just handle that amount of traffic just to not go down. So we've got a bunch of like, you know, essentially bulkheads right that you allow to go in order to like maintain the service like coming up and and running still and then but we also have like but yeah like by the the problem is like by the time that like the spikes over like the auto scaling like there isn't a thing like you'd have to spend so much time on your auto scaling like you can't use any generic thing like no kates is going to save you from this like it just can't do it as quickly as you need to be able to do it like you can't auto scale you know, 10 more instances, 20 more instances in like 30 seconds or less than, which is kind sure. of the time window that you actually have. So um, your spike, once, your spike, once your is spike over happens, by the time once you, you detect that a spike is even happening and that you're not going to be able to handle it, like the spike's over by that point, you've like missed your window. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so we actually allow, we have a bunch of ways to do it. Some of it's automated, like some of it, like we actually know that we're sending out certain notifications. So like, spin up or whatever but we also give the people who program those notifications to go out they actually have the ability to scale up like they have a slack command oh that's cool 
Oh then, yeah, just solve it with Slack. That's yeah, it's a good <laughs> and then human, and then, human and like, solution. Well, because like uh, half the time too, like we don't know. Like I look at these notifications and I'm like, this caused a spike. Like, what is this even about? And like, I don't even know. You like, I don't know the names of sports player people. You know, and like, I don't know what's gonna cause like what's what what dramatic new event is gonna cause people to come to the website. So, and you know, I think that's true for a lot of us as engineers. But like the people who program that stuff do know that it's like controversial and can cause a spike. Um, and so they'll preemptively just like they literally just like run a slash slack command and it like spins up a bunch of things all at once. How, so, how technical is that slack command? Is it like I need 10 more instances or is it no, like it's I literally like slash slash like slash prep or like like okay. slash like spike prep or something like that. And it just like I mean, the, the thing is, is like at the end of the day, it's cheap. It's like really cheap to scale up and then to scale it back down. And it just and it lasts like. 30 minutes or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. and then, it, and then it automatically like scales them all back down again. Um, cool. oh, nice. so by that point, like the spike will be over. And sometimes like we don't scale up quite enough, you know, or whatever, if it's like, if, or and sometimes, you know, obviously like human error, like you could just miss something. Like you can't watch every notification that goes out, but, uh, or you could, and you'd have to like train some sort of like, you know, uh, machine learning, like classifier, to be able to like get within some percentage chance of this causing like a traffic spike, um, which I've threatened to build, <laughs> but uh, it's not hard. It's not hard to train. And you don't even have to be that accurate. Like, well, you gotta be like 50% accurate. Like, it's not like you're trying to like, you know, like identify birds on a, on a stop sign or something for Google. Like you're, you're, you're just like, you have to be like kind of close. Uh, and that's like easy to train. So mm-hmm. assuming you can get all the data, but getting all the data is actually hard. Like getting all the time series that you would need is actually hard to tell if it was a spike. Yeah, exactly. Well, and like collating it all into a single place where you could like do all that work. Mm-hmm. So it's just like time and energy and effort. And it's, it like is pretty good just to let humans manage it for now. It's so like you, 80% of data science is just like wrangle your data. Yeah. 80% <laughs> of data science is wrangle data. And the other 20% is guess. <laughs> 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 And like, believe that data science can solve all the problems. That's like at least 10% of the problem. <laughs> it's true. like, you need to commit to the idea that, that data science can solve this problem, which is typically inaccurate. But if you believe it, it'll probably work for you. So like, you know, you just really, it's like a religious experience. You just got to commit to it and never question it. Because like, if you question it, oh man, like the whole bedrock of your world will be shaken. Uh, so you just never question it. You always assume data science can solve the problem, regardless of any evidence to the to the contrary. And oh, uh, you just keep moving d- forward. Is that the same people that write Rust? Mm. <laughs> Nailed it. So, uh, so yeah, that's data science in a nutshell. So yeah. Like, so, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, but, you know, other than that, I think it's basically just, like, tell, um, you know, guess at parameters to, uh, and feature selection, just guess, and just kind of know what features might make sense, and then you put it in some sort of TensorFlow Keras nonsense, and then, and then hope it works. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> but most of it's belief. <laughs> you got to believe in yourself. <laughs> Do you, uh, I'm, I'm curious and, and I don't know if you can answer this or like if, if it's company secret, but do you stage the announcements going out? So like a smaller population gets it and then grows up or you just, just let it rip. 
It's all about timeliness, right? Like you're yeah, like, you I gotta need, be fast. Like, you, you gotta be get, faster yeah. than everybody else. And we, and that's the thing is we are, we are faster than everybody else. So, you know, take that ESPN. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't i don't get to watch a lot of sport, I don't know sports why. I, have ball, so much, so. I have so much company pride i don't even work on that on that subsystem like of <laughs> anything i don't work anywhere near that <laughs> i didn't write any of that i have no affiliation with any of that it's still cool though it's fun it's a fun problem they use gen stage those the the the, the people who work on that do know how to use gen stage <laughs> now has that changed a lot or is that one of those things too where it's like it's been working really well it's basically just works yeah just works like basically like it's it hasn't undergone any sort of major revision in a long time because it's just working and it's working better than everybody else's stuff that's crazy like it's like i don't even want to talk about it because it's like it's like a trade secret but and this is like how i feel about elixir at this point it's like a superpower every time anybody you know, if you go on like the forum or whatever, you're like, well, how is Elixir versus Python? Well, Python's faster for computation and math. And like, and then you're just like, whatever, dude. Like, I'm so over fighting about any of that because like at this point, I'm like, yeah, sure. Just you go off and you dig your own grave. Like you go, you, you go vanish into obscurity underneath a pile of YAML to make your Kates work. I don't even care. Like, yeah, like you'll go off and do your thing. Whereas like, I, I just feel like using Elixir and or Erlang or whatever is like a superpower. And it's like a superpower that I don't even want to tell anybody about anymore because it's just like, it feels like it's like, you just feel like you're cheating half the time. But and you're like, Django and like, cake are how, much more mature. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely more mature. <laughs> well, uh, Oh my gosh. So, uh, so, oh, you're killing me. The people, the people that know about that, they got it. <laughs> Uh, all five of you anyway. So, but I mean, but it does, it, it feels like this, like it, it just feels like a, it feels like cheating half the time. Mm-hmm. Like you just feel like you're skirting all the other problems that everybody else has to contend with and no one else gets it. I think this is like, this must be how lists people feel all the time where you just feel like you've like stumbled into sort of like this, like discovered thing. Like it wasn't invented. Like you just actually discovered it. Like this, like sort of like this, like the thing that just existed. And you're like, well, this is amazing. And then, and, and no one else gets it. And then they don't get like why you think it's cool. And you're like, but you have to experience it. Like if you will experience it, you'll know, <laughs> like just try it. It's like you're uh there. No, I'm not gonna make that joke. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it just, it does, it just feels you'll, good. Feel, you'll feel that way. It just, it feels good. It feels like you're, it feels like you're, so, yeah, it just feels like a superpower. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly like that's what I was saying. Like, it has. I enjoy programming more when I'm doing Elixir, and a lot of that's the reason why, right? It feels it feels that way as you're coding it too, and and it's enjoyable to code. It's like it could be a superpower and run really well, but be miserable to code, and that wouldn't be very fun. But you know, it's it's actually enjoyable too. So it's like it's a double whammy. Yeah, exactly. I think when I start to try to design systems in Elixir, they they just seem simpler from moment one the thought process that goes into how to do it and the amount that i actually have to write to handle like major problems in languages that i've used in the past Mm -hmm. and so like that that simple thought process is what makes it fun for me i feel like i get to solve the actual hard problems right instead of fighting the same problems over and over yeah, well, and and the amount of effort it takes to do some of these things just blows my mind. Where it, where it's like, oh, it's just done. 
this took like half a day and now this you like should really try hard problem stage. just done. <laughs> That's true. Oh man. Oh, think about what I could accomplish. I have a, I well, so I have a new rule right now, which is that like, I, I don't want to work all of my libraries. My goal for most of the majority of my libraries, there are a few exceptions, but the stuff that I'm like actively building right now, my goal is to make them all under 300 lines of code long. I think that's the right benchmark. And it's amazing what you can accomplish in 300 lines of Elixir. So you heard Stu, talk, Stu Holloway talking at, at this, yes. City. That's where that came from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, after, the after party. Stu, uh, Stu mentioned how uh, so Rich Hickey, the uh, creator of Closure, he won't write something. I think his, his rule is 500. He's like, if it's over 500 lines, and he, he, he can't. He can't think about how he'll put it in under 500 lines. He doesn't build it. Yeah. They talked about like SQL. I guess uh, Datomic has SQL now. And like, so it can understand SQL queries. And they built that. Finally, they figured out how to build it in under 500 lines of code. So they built it. And yeah. that's just like, that's pretty crazy. I, I, I think it's it. a good goal. I love it. Now, all, all of your awesome. functions can only be one, one, one line long, too. So. Mm, no, incorrect. <laughs> No functions. Uh, I that's my other rule is that your median uh, lines of code and your functions should be at least five. Uh, I think you have to have median. Eight. That's a median. I think, <laughs> I think you have to have eight lines of def delegate before you actually mm. do anything. Yeah, and you should use application config. What else do you want to throw in here to to make me mad, Amos? Go for it. I'll just. Uh, this is your. Full, I'm, give, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna concede the floor to Mister to Mister King. Uh, you can now proceed if you want to void yes. IR the witness here. I know you avoid. Yeah, I know you don't void IR a witness. But just I, whatever. I, I just, I'm trying to get you worked up, and I and when I get voices out of you, void, I feel like void, I did that. void IR. Void IR. I've only, I've only uh, been in jury duty once, and the mm-hmm. guy was from Louisiana. The judge was from Louisiana, so he pronounced it void IR. Void IR. I don't even know what that. I don't even know. I don't, what that I don't know what you're trying to say. I think it's like either. where you. Que- that's like where you question the the jury, right? Okay. I like law, the, so like when, during jury, jury selection, the lawyers there are like they go through this process called like, well, Voldaire. And then they uh that's how they and they like they're allowed to question witnesses. I think what I and then, and I then did dismiss it, they them. Didn't really, they didn't really uh I think that's a part of it. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. They didn't really call it anything. They just set us mm. all in the juror box and started asking us questions. In any case, this is your moment in time. You want to make me mad talking about, uh, go ahead and mention anything you want to mention right now. Get it all out of your system about things people shouldn't do in libraries. Things that people shouldn't do? Well, I yeah, don't think that you it. can build a good system without Def Delegate, for one. That's true, probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, if you don't have a couple layers of indirection, you don't have enough abstractions. Um, so, so that's, that's step yeah. one. I think those are called ports and adapters these days for ports. sure. So yeah. <laughs> Extra extractions. Yeah. So, and, and then, you know, on top of that, like if you're not putting specs on everything mm-hmm. and the very first thing that your function should do on any data coming in is, is make sure that it is the right type. You got to have like 15 lines once you get out of the def delegates that are just checking all of the types of everything. And if you have a map, you have to check nested all of the types first. And then you don't really return anything except for an exception that just says bad params. And it doesn't <laughs> tell you what they are. <laughs> bad params. Done. You, no, you don't return the exception, Namus. You, you have to throw the exception. That's yeah. the other. Uh, uh, well, you, you, raise, right? Throw, throw, raise it, throw. raise it, raise it. Yeah. yeah. I forget right what language there. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> It has both yeah. of them. Well, and, and see, the great thing about that is, is we, 
it, you've you've read Fred's post. It's let it crash, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're supposed to do. So that's that's what I did. See the the real thing that makes me mad now because here's the thing is that was you, you, that's an old meme. The old meme is to raise exceptions, right? The new meme is to use the elixir result type, which is to say okay and error tuples. Everybody just uses okay error tuples these oh, yeah. days or match for literally that's- for things that for things that don't have a result. Like they'll just but they'll still use them. Like I've seen them used in like. People build like little caches and stuff, and then they're like they they return like okay the thing or error missing or whatever, and it's like that's not a result. That's not that's not what that's for. You you did it wrong. And here's what I'm <laughs> gonna say to that is uh, raise exceptions, you cowards. All of you need to start raising exceptions and crashing <laughs> things more often. <laughs> raise all the exceptions. Explicitly explicitly match on things. Stop using with so much. Explicitly match on things and raise exceptions. I dare, I dare All you. Matchers. I double dog dare you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> At least 60% of the time. 60% of the time. It works every time. Yeah, but also 60% of the time you should you should not be returning a, a result type. I think 50% because that way if you have a coin, you can just flip it. If it's good, 60, good point. Oh, you that's, have to have a that's the right. That, see, there you go. Galaxy brain <laughs> decision making right there. That was... That was that's brilliant, Steve. This is why Steve's an author. Right, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is why he gets paid. This is why he lives that fast-paced lifestyle that you and I will never understand, Amos. <laughs> like, I, I know. He, he's living the author he life. He's going to do a book tour soon. That is actually a real thing, right? He, like you go to conferences with your book. He had the sick book. brag earlier that he has lots of shoes. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, I don't have a lot of shoes. I have. Li- <laughs> you know how many pairs of shoes I have? One. I have one Just send me a credit card info. I'll, I'll buy you some shoes with your credit card and, and okay. you don't have yeah, to worry sure. about it. Oh, <laughs> we, well, there you go. We're, Convenient. I thought about that as a service. It's like, like Uber, but for sneakers. Afraid. So I've thought about this. People are a little oh, afraid no. of spending money sometimes. So you just give me your info and I will spend the money for you and you'll get cool stuff sent to you every month. <laughs> and, and I get the joy of picking it out. So it's like it just works out. It's like making a mixtape like, for someone. Yeah. Except, except you get to spend their money. <laughs> yep. I think I think I think there's some people that could benefit from that, but that's just, just my my thoughts. Don't they have that, that like with a monthly subscription where they just send you clothes every month? Like here's a box of clothes. I think they have yeah. that. I I I guess that's that's sort of the same thing. I, I wonder if often they're sending you like cheap stuff. It's like the like, well, we couldn't sell this, so let's send it to these to these people. Oh, I don't but know. But like, if, if they're sending know. expensive stuff, we need a service for cheap stuff. <laughs> thrift store in a box once a month. You get a thrift oh, store. Be, in no, a there's box. people that love going like thrift store I, shopping and stuff. I right? bet you, if they could, then just they're doing it for other people. You know, and it's like, I get, I mean, th- th- there's people that do that. Like, uh, you know, like. Uh, some like consignment shop owners actually do stuff like that, you know, set, 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 uh, set aside inventory and whatnot, but that'd be a good should service. We, should we cut this out of the show and go write that thrift shop plus? Oh yeah. yeah we we, we don't want to let anybody know. Right. Cause Steve does have the best shoes. I, I, I agree. Down. When you go to a conference, a re- you're like, that's yeah. Steve. And you can't even see him. He's like standing behind people. You just see his shoes. <laughs> that's a, that is, that is true. Yeah. That's a good way to identify. I mean, look for the crazy <laughs> for the crazy shoes. Like bright shoes, but, Steve. <laughs> so, so Chris said something. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know the I don't know the etiquette here. I don't want to look like a nerd. So, <laughs> you mentioned the you mentioned the book tour. So, I do have some conferences lined up. I think it'll be before the books in print. But I'm sure though. I'm sure I'll apply to some after the books in print too. Like, if you show up and 
like, let's say you had copies of your book. Like, are you like, you're selling those? Like, how does that work? Is it like, all right, like there's some cash and, and you can get this book and then we'll, I'll sign it for you. I, I don't know how stuff like that works. Is that just like, eh, don't really do that. Just go and do your, your, your presentation and like pitch your book in it. Like, like what's the etiquette there? I I think you just stand up and be like I don't know every, why you're you know, asking me. <laughs> like, what you, am I supposed to know? <laughs> we're not authors, but I I think you could do this. You just you, you go up on Brad. stage and you <laughs> say, I, uh, "I have I have ten copies of my book here. I'll sell them to you at twenty dollars over the value on the book. And if you buy it, I'll sign your face." <laughs> <laughs> seems oh, seems man. legit. Oh, you're gonna have to get really you're gonna have to get really good at at face signing. You know. I have a bad signature, so I will have to practice that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I would, I would bring some gloss. Use a different signature well, than what you use for you some headshots. That's what I've been to be able to pass out. Interesting, interesting advice, Amos. I wouldn't have considered that. Yeah, yeah pro tip. <laughs> Just a big S. That's all it's going to be. Oh yeah, exactly. With like a and single a line through it. There you go. Draw, I mean, yeah, I'll you could draw. You could draw some Jordans again. on there <laughs> real quick. <laughs> I wish I was a good artist because, like, I think it's cool when people like do a little doodle with it too. I can't mm-hmm. do that. I'm not. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't even take that 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 chance. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna you got practice. Practice your doodle. <laughs> just a smiley face and a sneaker. <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> that's gonna be the signature. So yeah, but I mean, I but yeah. So if there's, I mean, uh, I assume you'll get some discount codes. I seem yeah. to see that those crop up every now and then. Uh, and I'm not uh, sure. I'll say it is, sure, it's a book. It's though. a book worth uh, picking up. It's good. I like it. Thank you. And I know there's discount codes for the eBooks. I don't know what they're going to be doing for paper books because they are not selling. I think it's public now, but it's it's going to be all all Amazon based. And, and uh, if there's like bookstores that pick it up, so I, I doubt that there will be like discount codes for paper, which is you know that's just sort of the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. But uh, you know, ebook, obviously the Elixir, like you can go to the Elixir forum and get the ebook discounts there, which I, I recommend to people if they're, you know, listening here and they're, and they're looking for any Prague book and, you know, they, they want a good discount. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's basically the, the best discount you're going to get. It's like a really good discount. For the yeah, Elixir and they come forum. up a lot too. Well, there's just a persistent one too. There, there's, there the is a persistent forum. one for the forum. Oh, huh. yeah. Rad. I didn't know how big of a secret it is, but I'm like, it's a really good discount, so I would use it every time. <laughs> yeah, just, just let the, let the secret out. Yeah. So, what conferences? You said you had some coming up. What are you going to? I'll be doing the training at uh, Lone Star Elixir. That'll be the real time systems training, which will be very inspired from the book. And then I'll be doing um, sort of like the anatomy of a real time Elixir app at uh, at Code Beam SF. Um, so that'll be in. So the Lone Star's. Uh, was it February 27th to 29th? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the uh, the code beams like the next week. I think it's like the fifth and sixth or something like that. Well, I'm oh. I'm definitely going to be at Lone Star because we're sponsoring. And you can just sit at our table and sign books and I'll stand up and act like a bodyguard for you. There, no, nothing will be in print by then, though. It'll take a, it'll take like two to three months once it's... Uh, oh, I didn't realize that. After the end of January. Because there's... Um, like, so like the way it works is like, I'll finish, I, I have this beta finished up, right? It's actually, it should be going out like, um, like the, the ninth or 10th of January. So by the time this is live, the beta, the final beta will be out, but then there will be like additional edits that I'll make. And then there'll be like, after it goes into production, there's like, gra- uh, like grammar editors, spelling editors, formatting editors, indexing. There's like a lot of stuff that happens that I, I don't even have to worry about. I just sort of say hands up, 
I read it twice. I think they'll give me like two chances to read it and then it just goes, it's done. Um, so it'll take like, it takes like two to three months to do that whole process. Cause there's like people involved and they're, you know, doing, doing the reviews and stuff. So I guess the only thing you'll have to sign is people's faces. It's fine. People faces will be the only thing I'll give like an IOU. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll sign it and then you can, you can cut it out and put it in the book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Nice. Nice. You just a cut sticker. your face out and then and put your face in the book. All right. I'm going to show up with a bunch of hello, my name is stickers that you can sign and give to people. Perfect. There you, oh, there you go. That's a real idea. That seems good. Oh, that'd be fun. I think, yeah, we'll probably end up running into you at conferences and stuff like that at some point. I don't know what my schedule is for this year yet. going to be, I don't know what, I don't know. It's probably going to be silly, but I'm sure. Yeah, we'll I'm not even it. sure yet what I'll be doing. I'll be at Lone Star, possibly Code Beam. I have a ticket. But I don't know if I have the time, unfortunately. Yeah. Just do in and out same day. Just do a fly in, do 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 a day of the conference and fly out. Really? That's the only reason I go to California is for in and out. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I'm a yeah. I'm a I'm a five guys five guys person myself. Uh, see see I went to junior high in, in LA. So, you went to junior like, high? Yeah, barely. That's cool. Um they I can't believe they let me, but I, I was never in Los know Angeles. That about you. So I, I ate. I'm a amazed they let you out in and out. It's I, me too. I had a my, weird my, five guys experience and I, uh, you never uh, recovered. I can't get past it. They took my, the French fries and instead of putting salt on it, I'm like 99% sure they put sugar on it. Mm. And it was just really weird. And I was like, these fries taste off. And now since that, I haven't been able to get past that. Oh I'm man. Just broken. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just broken forever. Oh, what a shame. What a what a loss! What a what a loss! Big loss! A loss Big to society loss. and and to you. Oh man! All right. Well, well, we should wrap this up. Yeah, I gotta get going today. Yeah, at some same. point. I gotta do work mm. at some point. I think I'm gonna try to. I said last time that I was gonna try to do some open source stuff. So How'd that go today, for you? Today's the day. No, today's the day. Today's the what day. Do you, do you know what you're doing yet? Like, what do you got going on? Uh, I think I think I'm gonna hop in with. Uh, Connor Rigby, if if he'll allow me and uh, do some, we'll do some nerves work together. Otherwise, we also have an idea for for uh, a fun little project to set up at Lone Star if we decide that we could get it done by then. Maybe I'll tell you guys offline. I believe in you, Amos. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> you can Maybe do I'll it. Tell you Don't let your dreams be dreams, Amos. They're usually nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a great day. All right. Later, y'all. See you, Steve. Thanks for coming. See ya.